This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes, 50 for subscribers of News of the Day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Our top story is that we're having a Rockfin deep dive live on Wednesday at 5 o'clock Pacific, 8 o'clock Eastern. So go to rockfin.com slash propaganda report. And if you are a subscriber, you can watch that. And if you're not a subscriber, go ahead and subscribe and you will see Binkley try to trigger me with the conspirators conspiring in their own words. That's right. Saying Biden's words before Biden himself says them. Uh, I love that. So what's going on in the world today? I'm a little out of it because I have been uh, out of town. So I missed last week. I wasn't really keeping up on the news. I tried to catch up this morning, but I'm woefully behind. So why don't you lead us off? Zelensky has been, as you know, going around the world touring to appeal to the various publics to go to war for World War III, for supporting Ukraine, for a no-fly zone, everything else. He does these dramatic depictions where he is wearing his green shirt, and then we have the images that are always in the background. Well, he's continued that tour, and he has gone on 60 Minutes to appeal to this audience. And here's what we learned in this 60 Minutes interview from President Zelensky. We learned that according to 60 Minutes, Vladimir Zelensky is the man who stands between Russia and the free world. (laughs) He is the single man who stands between those two. (laughs) And the reasoning is that he alone has stopped Ukraine from falling immediately because Russia, apparently, their whole plan was that the president of Ukraine was going to flee and they were just going to take over Ukraine immediately. But because he did not, and because he is willing to die for his country, he says, he has single-handedly inspired the nation to successfully fight back Russia. So we learned that. And we also learned what his evidence is of the war crimes. So last week we talked about how there is no evidence to prove that can be independently verified that Russia is committing war crimes. The Pentagon has admitted this. Every single article that you see saying that there are war crimes in Bucha at the very bottom is buried. We can't independently verify that Russia is committing war crimes, committing these atrocities. So he was asked what these atrocities were, and he told us, he said that the Ukrainian security service has intercepted communications, that there are Russian soldiers talking with their parents about what they stole, who they abducted, that there are recordings of Russian prisoners of war who admitted to killing people, that there are pilots in prison who had maps of civilian targets to bomb, and that there are also investigations being done based on the remains of the dead. And he also accompanied this with images that they say were images of these atrocities that you actually don't know what you're looking at. So that was the basis of his evidence. So not much evidence other than the words of a propagandist. And he also said that everyone who has issued an order, everyone who has fulfilled an order or who was involved are all guilty. And this was his response to a question of, do they need to be punished? So that I thought was interesting because are they going to target people for punishment and what their association with the war had to be? Is it going to be people actively involved or people who just spread, quote, disinformation about it? And his biggest gripe 
was that he is not getting a no-fly zone. He says he recognizes the concerns about a World War III that America and NATO has, but that, that doesn't matter. That during World War II, the neutral countries are the ones that were responsible for what Hitler did, just like the countries like America and the other NATO countries who won't provide him with a no-fly zone are responsible for what Putin is doing now, and that Putin will not stop at Ukraine. He will continue to take over the wider world, I guess is the implication there, and that he is going to continue committing these atrocities. So... He is openly advocating for World War III, and they closed out the interview with him saying that he is not defending just Ukraine. He is defending all democracies. <laughs> yeah, it definitely bears a lot of resemblance to the World War II stuff, the whole narrative there. I think it's funny that it starts with the narrative of the president of Ukraine would flee when that's exactly what happened under the U.S. coup in 2014 when the pro-Russian president did flee. So they just recycle these They stories. really do. They've been recycling yeah. so many of these atrocity stories as well, which doesn't mean some of them aren't true, but when you see the same thing repeated over and over again in history, then you are going to question it. And the fact that they all say they don't have evidence makes you question it further. And this brings in the butcher of Syria. We're already being told that this man is going to commit atrocities. What happened was Russia has appointed this man, General Alexander Dvornikov, and he most recently oversaw Russian troops in Syria and has a history of targeting civilians. And our military analysts say that this is an indication that the war is going to enter a brutal new phase. And they had another one of these press conferences today where the questions were about, is he going to commit atrocities? What's he going to do? And they were like, well, we can't get inside his head. We don't have evidence what he's going to do, but he commits atrocities. Therefore, atrocities are going to be committed. So this guy can never leave his couch, never go to the war at all. But it's already been set in stone by the media that more atrocities are going to happen because this guy has been put there. So this is the priming of the public to believe the stories we're going to hear in the next couple of weeks. And I think the real story is that Russia has got some ground troops in Donbass and specifically eastern Donbass as if Russia is seizing territory. But that is the region that he declared autonomous, that's been asserting their autonomy, that if he's there, he's there to defend their land from the Western Ukrainians that want to incur or encroach on that land. So they're acting like it's an invasion, but really it's what those people have been begging for for eight years, if I understand it correctly. And it has to be conventional because it's about taking the land. It's not about taking the political power. He's, I think he's helping the Donbassians defend their land especially if it's eastern Donbass, because that's absolutely squarely want would need have been asking for help by Russia against the West. The way they're reporting this guy's appointment, they might as well be reporting it as the Russia has appointed the minister of atrocities and killing babies to lead the war effort <laughs> in sure. Ukraine. And he's about to slaughter everyone in sight. So I was also reading another article that was in the journal today was that there's this massive exodus of young Russian tech professionals to the point where Putin's giving them a waiver on conscription. So people will flee to avoid conscription. He's like, don't even if you're in the tech sector, you can stay, yada, yada. Uh, then it went into how that these tech people are fleeing because they're horrified by the war and we thought it would be uh, we would tolerate it. But there's no saving Russia now when nothing in me believes that, especially since buried deep in the article, it said that Putin's 
approval rating went from 71%, which is awesome, to 83% since the war started. Yes. So unless those tech people are just, uh, you know, completely the opposite of what the rest of the general population is, I feel like this is just another example of opportunistic migration that's that because the West wants migration numbers to go up out of Ukraine and out of Russia, I know in the case of Ukraine that they are opening up borders that would not otherwise have been open like that. And I don't know if that's also true for some of our allies uh, opening their doors to more Russians. I'm not sure about that, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's the same phenomenon. Yeah. And why... Does the public in Russia, why are they supporting Putin even more now? Well, we're being told it's because of that propaganda. They're so insulated and they can't get any other true information about what's really going on into the Russians, which is why they're using all these social media tactics, which brings us to these disinformation experts in this conference. Last Friday, there was a conference that was on disinformation. Obama was the main speaker there. You had David Axelrod. You had Brian Stelter. You had all the main players, and they're all just lying about everything. And there was this woman named Anna Applebaum, who I talked about what she said last week. She was asked by a student about her claims when the Hunter Biden laptop came out that it was Russian disinformation. And she then responded by saying that wasn't about disinformation. The Hunter Biden laptop story just wasn't interesting. That's what it was for me. (laughs) That was her answer. Now, Brian Stelter (laughs) was asked the same question the next day by another student. So there were some students went in there with an agenda there, but it was a very good agenda, in my opinion. And Brian Stelter also did not answer the actual question. So with that in mind, Anna Applebaum, appeared on Brian Stelter's program on Sunday, two days later. Now, just for context on who she is, she's a staff writer at The Atlantic. Her husband is a member of the European Parliament, hmm. and she won a Pulitzer Prize in 2004 oh. for a book called a Pulitzer Gulag. Prize? Yes. For, for what? For a book called Gulag. Okay, because, you know, absolutely. You tell me you won a Pulitzer Prize, right. and I just immediately dismiss it. Yeah, and she's a senior fellow at the Agora Institute at John Hopkins University. Ugh, we talked about the Agora Institute. <laughs> I know. There's another one. That's she's awful. another one of those. So, Ugh, I hate that because they're hijacking Agora. And this woman was the expert on myths and disinformation being interviewed by David Axelrod on Friday. with Brian. Now, she's back with Brian Stelter on Sunday to talk about how the Ukraine, how Ukraine was prepared to withstand Russia's fire hose of falsehood propaganda and how Zelensky has been able to counter the propaganda so successfully coming from Russia. And what she said was very interesting. She said that the reason he's been able to do that is because he's surrounded by producers and his acting background and, and script writers. Here's what she said exactly. She said, he's a television producer who ran a successful production company. He was a star in a series where he played the president of Ukraine. So he's practiced this before. And his chief of staff is a former TV producer. Some of the other people around him are TV producers and script writers. Wow, that's so interesting because they have sets there. Right. So they're admitting now that they just... That's just so crazy. But, you know, it's really crazy that they literally have that team in there given... I mean, I haven't made the connection until you're telling me this about Cam showing us sets that they have. Right. And and plus, he was definitely on a green screen when you showed us that recently. Definitely. They're admitting this is a full on production at this point. And this is not the only show that I've heard them admit this on. It that informs the whole Trump thing too. I mean, we have a lot of of actors in hot places of power. And the reasoning makes perfect sense. 
according to what she's saying, she's saying that with all these people in TV around him, that they are formulating the best way to tell this story. And you think about it, stories that are told in movies, visually in Hollywood, people with experience and money to do all that, they tell the stories better than your average news people or your average politicians would. So why not just get the people who tell the stories the best to tell the stories that you want, the propaganda stories you want to tell? And it seems like they did that here. She said this, this is pretty funny. She goes, these script writers and producers and all them, that means they're always thinking about the best way to tell this story. And that, that doesn't mean that what they're saying is fake. But of course, there is some propaganda in their tactics. And then she goes on to say that they're telling this story in a better way of democracy fighting against autocracy. The story of Zelensky being an ordinary person with his green T-shirts. He'll talk to anybody who became president fighting against this bizarre, pumped up president of Russia, this autocrat, and how all of the production crew is supporting this ever. So this is a television production. You're exactly right. I just find it so eye-opening that they're just openly admitting this and advocating for it pure propaganda yes so speaking of what i i actually think there's something very propagandistic about uh propaganda of the deed about a story that was hitting the headlines this morning about a big home depot fire in san jose it was so big that unlike uh any other fire i think like um building fire, structure fire, it was captured on a satellite. So normally wildfires are the only things that register on these satellites. But in this case, that did. And I don't know if you remember, but a while back, a couple of months ago, I said, I I did a hashtag, urban fires rising. I said, they're starting to do building fires the way they do wildfires. Do you remember that? Yeah. So these fires just don't make sense to me at all. And this is one that just is unprecedented in its size. So I started looking into it and it, you know, there were two fires spotted at first by helicopters. It started in the lumber and drywall section, which kind of seems reasonable, but how does that happen? Why are, what happened to the sprinklers and everything? So my guess is they're not telling us how it started yet, but yeah, remember I was talking about Philadelphia fire. There were a bunch of fires in New York, but there's always in every single case, a perfect storm of things going wrong. And I'm anticipating that I'm suggesting like a what to watch out for here on that. Uh, And I was trying to see the punchline. Like, are they looking for regulations? Are they looking to like destroy all buildings and rebuild them? Miami condo collapse style. Are they looking for a new grid? Like there's something there. But I thought this is a huge building. It looks like a huge building. And is it really... Is this was this an active Home Depot? And in the actual article, it said like that. I lived there six months ago. It was my go to store. Someone actually said that. I said, let let me look. Let me look into it. So I Googled. uh, I found on in an article where it said the Home Depot on Blossom Hill Road in San Jose. So I Googled it and there is no Home Depot on Blossom Hill Road in San Jose. So there's like four Home Depots in San Jose, but they all have different addresses, which I'm going to take a screenshot in of because that's going to change. But what is on Blossom Hill Road is an Osh, an Orchard Supply Hardware, and an Ace. Now, I think there used to be an Osh out here, but it went out of business. So it could be that they're going out of business. And my guess is a Home Depot will open up in that spot. It will be built back better. But maybe that was a building that was ready to go, that they wanted to go, that Home Depot bought it 
from OSH and it just wasn't configured like a Home Depot. So they were going to let it go. I know that's going a little far in the rabbit hole, but when it all sounded weird and then there was none at that address, I had to wonder and I will continue to keep my ears open for what started this fire and if there is more fishy stuff down the road. But I thought that was super fishy. Yeah, that is very strange. I did hear something not long ago about it being easier or better for businesses like that if they're going to go out of business to burn their business down. Well, but if it were actually an OSH, then maybe they would. It's called Jewish lightning, I think, or you'd light it on fire to get the insurance money because you can't sell it for as much. I always wondered if that's what the whole Harvey Weinstein thing was all about. But uh, the, the story with this you know, then then it would be an OSH, right? But I, I feel like it's just as easy to, if you if you wanted to just gut the building, but how deep is Home Depot into this kind of thing? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know. There would have to really be someone deeply connected who would orchestrate this. And first, I want, I'm waiting to see what caused the fire. And then I'll see if I can find who really owned that property. Very interesting. Well, there's some story about that case in Michigan where they were charged with trying to kidnap the governor up there. And we we know the background of the story. It was just lots of undercover agents that were leading it and seemed to be entrapping some of the the people who are now being charged. And two of them have been acquitted in this plot. Daniel Harris and Brandon Caserta, they were both cleared of the charge of conspiracy and there was a mistrial declared for two other defendants. They don't name the two other defendants after the jury, the jurors were unable to agree on a verdict. I thought this story was interesting because my first question was now, were these the undercover agents? Right. That's what I was thinking, but they weren't. They apparently they were not. I'm not sure they even charged those guys. Yeah, I'm not either. But what did happen is they did get some of the other guys involved, two of the other guys involved, to take a plea deal, which I know you don't like plea yeah, deals. Yeah, actually, that is true. They did charge the FBI guys, and I believe they did take pleas on something a little bit different. Well, maybe these guys were some of the undercover dudes, yeah. but two of the guys who took a plea deal, one of them is facing six years in prison. So I don't know if that's one of the FBI guys, but they testified as witnesses against these two guys who obviously didn't take a plea deal and it didn't work out for them. So these guys end up getting off of the charges, despite the fact that the other guys who took a plea deal and are going to be facing six years in prison were part of the testimony against them saying they were involved. The last time I covered this story, which was a couple of weeks ago, the the undercover guys, the prosecutors refused to bring them, but the defense wanted to bring them yeah. so that they could impugn their testimony. And I don't know how that that was well, still being argued at the time. Part of the argument from the defense was that their clients were credulous, weakened warriors prone to big, wild talk who were often stoned. And they said FBI undercover agents and informants tricked trick them into agreeing to a conspiracy, which that sounds like an accurate depiction Absolutely. of what happened That's so to common. me. Yeah. yeah. And the prosecutors offered testimony from undercover agents, a crucial informant, and two men who pleaded guilty to the plot. And the jurors... Oh, so I guess they did bring them forward. That's interesting. Yeah. The jurors also got to read and hear secretly recorded conversations and social media posts and chat messages And that's interesting to me that they got to see that information and they did not come to a guilty verdict. So 
that seems like a good thing to me because from my my opinion, that was entrapment. Oh, I think so too. And the reason they don't usually fight in charges, even if you're totally innocent, is that I think it's a violation of double jeopardy that they just pile up charges. They charge you for a bunch of different things related to one single act so that it's not worth risking. And as who was saying, Angela McArdle said that plea bargains are for for innocent people. <laughs> right. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. One little How setup about those that guys, I, though, who took the deal, who are facing six years in prison now, they probably got to be assume like, they, man. They, see, that's what I always thought about like General Flynn and Roger Stone and all these people, uh, Manafort, like tell me how much time they actually end up spending in jail. That's a good point. And then we can talk about whether I think it was real. Show me pictures of them in jail. I think there was a guy, a guard in that Parkland shooters area of the prison that Nicholas Cruz's area of the prison who like suicided or something. I mean, that was to me saying, okay, there's something fishy going on there. And he knew it uh, quite actually a couple of people died deputies and stuff around that story. So I, I have a feeling that maybe people aren't even in jail sometimes when we're told they're in jail. Like, I think that, yeah. that Jahar Shania is dead and never was in jail for even a day. So, well, you know, and you never know. So, okay, so there's just one quick hit I have here about, I heard on the news this morning that a woman who gave herself an abortion in Texas because abortion, they they, they said because abortion is illegal in Texas, so they arrested her. But that story just makes no sense for a couple of reasons. There is that, I guess, kind of heartbeat law in Texas where if you perform an abortion Private parties can sue you. I don't know exactly what the damages would be to you, but you can sue them, which it's a weird law. I don't think it's a valid. It it doesn't make sense to me from legal principles. I think Robert Barnes said it was a very clever procedural thing. I'm not sure clever procedural things always pass muster at the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said that they weren't going to look at it at that time that it was brought forward to them. It was brought forward to them immediately before there was any implementation of it. So this woman was arrested, even though the mother can't be arrested. It, it's only the provider and nobody gets arrested. You just get sued. So it made no sense. And then if you look into the story, she was released. The charges were dropped. And predictably, every single outlet said that I read anyway, this was inevitable. This is what happens when you make abortion illegal. It's outrageous that the hospital turned her in. And I, you know, the story is just you cannot find the actual you know, the details are are fuzzy, but it was clear to me that the reasons now the Supreme Court will take this, take the case, probably, and they will weigh the actual harms done by the law. And then they will likely, I think, eliminate the law and quite possibly come down and say anything that interferes with abortion at that early, you know, they'll they'll reduce the state's rights to regulate abortion, which are pretty generous. And I think that these these states that are putting in heartbeat laws and stuff like that are literally asking for trouble. I think that the rights to life stuff can be infiltrated and that they're being set up because it really goes against the spirit of Roe versus Wade. So not, I am not a fan of Roe versus Wade and it's totally unconstitutional, even if I didn't think it was immoral, I would also know that it was unconstitutional. But I believe that uh, they're just opening themselves up just like the 
Defense of Marriage Act. And I think that this case was part of that. But at the same time, in the same breath, they say, oh, but the abortion rate in Texas has gone down by 60% because of this. And that gives the people who support the law this feeling that they should defend it to the death because it's saving lives. However, if you dig in more deeply, you will find absolutely predictably that the states on the border of Texas have had an increase in abortion because people will just leave to get an abortion. And then you get into the fact that it's regressive because poor people don't do that and yada, yada. But I'm just saying like they, they put both, they're putting both sides out there. So they have a real fight on their hands. But what, and I believe that all of these laws are set up for less. Um, they're framing the public debate. Is that what you're saying? Um, they're putting both arguments out there. I think, I think they're feeding the right. I don't think they're framing the debate. I think the, the right knows that what they want is to reduce abortion and what they're saying what they're doing is misreporting the stats to keep wind in the sails of the right because if they said it doesn't even really reduce abortion yeah it just moves it to a different place then it wouldn't be a state's issue anyway they'd be like okay well you can't you can't stop it just by limiting it in your state it's very interesting that the timing of this is right after the new Supreme Court justice has been nominated or has is now been in. She's in. We got the new Supreme Court justice and then they yeah. start rolling out this type of story because they always like to talk about the Roe versus Wade when we have yeah. Supreme Court in the news. Yeah, that that it's definitely coming up. I, I think it's still like broken out towards the conservatives, but I don't think they're I, the like Brett Kavanaugh and I think the chick even who's super Christian or whatever. I think they basically say that Roe versus Wade is is established law, which is yeah, preposterous so. because it's completely unconstitutional. It's a ridiculous thing to say. But that's how you know that they're really you know, compromised or whatever. Okay, so before we get to our deepest dive of the day, where we'll get to the bottom of the African coups that are led by U.S. trained soldiers. That's a real story. Yep. And uh, but before we get to that, I want to tell you what we're going to talk about in the XR, the true purpose of flat earthers and the queen details her COVID experience. And of course, a big sponsor to today's show uh, of today's show. I always love True Hemp Science. Have to give them a shout out. TrueHempScience.com. But uh, we're also going to hear from some of our other sponsors. And now on to the last big story of the free 30, or I should say the deepest dive of the day. <laughs> I still confuse that. Okay. So I read a headline in the Wall Street Journal today. It said, in Africa, U.S. trained militaries are ousting civilian governments in coups. Insurrections are disrupting American security strategy in the region and giving Russia an opening to gain sway. I mean, that's just the funniest headline because it, it it's like completely irrelevant to the story. Like it, nothing plays into that except for a made up thing about Russia being in league with this arms company, which maybe it is, but has nothing to do with the story anyway. But this was the today's story. It says there's a couple of quotes I'm going to read directly, but mostly I'm just going to tell you what the 
what the gist of it is. Okay. So this says the U.S. has trained thousands of African soldiers from infantrymen rehearsing counterterrorism raids on the edge of the Sahara to senior commanders attending the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. They say the programs are the linchpin of U.S. policy on the continent intended to help African allies professionalize their armed forces to fight armed opponents, both foreign and domestic. So one thing that that brought to mind, there's a lot of stuff here that's really interesting, I think. Uh, One of the things that that brought to mind for me is that the big enemy that they are using for this argument is terrorism. Now, Gaddafi kept terrorism out of Africa. And said, well, I keep immigrants, I keep African immigrants out of Europe and I keep Islamic militants out of Africa. So when Gaddafi fell, both of those things changed and there was chaos and prisons were opened and terrorism and refugees just scattered. I always say it's like they it's like grease on a water on a grease fire just spreads it everywhere. So. So although I thought that was a byproduct of Gaddafi, I now wonder if that was the number one reason they took Gaddafi out because he was so effective and they really need that terrorism thing to explain why they're there. Now, in one of those think tank discussions, they were talking about that and they were talking about how, how why would Putin even trust anything that the NATO or U.S. said when you have examples like Gaddafi. Oh, absolutely. Assad this is like the Council of Foreign Relations talking about this. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, they, I mean, they have to be honest about it so that they can really analyze it. So it goes on, and this is in the article, it goes, but U.S. commanders have watched with dismay over the past year as military leaders in several African allies, uh, including officers with extensive American schooling, have overthrown civilian governments and seized power for themselves. Now, here, here are two hilarious quotes. I think they're hilarious. Uh, Rear Admiral Jamie Sands, who's the commander of U.S. Special Operations Forces in Africa, said there's no one more surprised or disappointed when partners that we're working with or have been working with for a while in some cases decide to overthrow their government. We have not find ourselves able to prevent it, and we certainly don't assess that we're causing it. It's like, really? (laughs) There's no chance. And then there's another guy who says this U.S. Army Colonel Michael Sullivan, who's a commander of the 2nd Security Force Assistance Brigade, which is a unit created to advise and train African armies. He says, we don't control what happens when we leave. We just hope we're helping countries do the right thing. I mean, that that is so it's a it's not believable because it's incredibly naive and b it's insanely reckless if you go into places that are prone to strong armism and you strengthen these guys you teach them tactics and then you just leave and hope for the best it's complete crap and then they they give three examples which i just thought were really over the top uh, in Burkina Faso, listen to this one. Earlier this year, the U.S. military was sufficiently confirmed, concerned about the spread of militant violence in Burkina, Burkina Faso to dispatch a special forces team to the city's capital to uh, advise local commandos. So they went to the city capital. Green Berets had just arrived when Burkina Faso soldiers unhappy with the civilian government's conduct of the war, surrounded the presidential palace, arrested the president, and announced a military junta, the patriotic movement for safeguarding and restoration, would take power. So, eight days after the first burst of gunfire, the junta named President 
named as president, Lieutenant Colonel Paul Henri Demiba, who had attended a U.S. sponsored military intelligence course in Senegal and a State Department peacekeeping training program in recent years. Okay, so the Green Berets show up, there's a coup, and they install a U.S. trained, real hardcore U.S. trained military guy. And they're just like, I don't know what happened. Like, it's so weird. Okay. So then in uh, Guinea, I guess it is, American berets, this is a different one last year. So all these things happened in the last 18 months. I think there were seven coups led by U.S. trained soldiers in Africa in the last 18 months. It says American Green Berets were in the midst of training Guinean special forces last year when the local soldiers broke away to oust the country's civilian president. The coup leader, Special Forces Colonel Mamadi Dumboya, had headed Guinea's delegation to the 2019 American-led commando exercises. When the U.S. commandos on the ground realized they were at the center of an insurrection, they took shelter at the U.S. embassy at the capital. So again, they're in the capital in Guinea. Holy crap, I can't believe it. It's so weird. It's what a coincidence. We're here and there's a U.S.-led guy, a U.S.-trained guy running a coup. Then... Sudan. Seems like a common theme. It does. And here's the last one. And the only reason I'm talking about this is because I want to um, fast forward or go back to la- a couple of months ago. Sudan, which had forsaken past ties with terror groups, began a democratic opening and embarked on sweeping rapprochement with the U.S. and was invited to the U.S. African Army Summit in 2020. But before they could get there, they launched a junta and a bloody crackdown on protesters and were no longer permitted to attend that event. Now, this, it's such a long story. Um, Maybe I'll get to it in the free 30, but I'll just tell you, last in November, there was this extensive article in the Wall Street Journal that said that This crazy thing happened in Sudan. We don't know why. Jeffrey Feltman, and I don't know if you recognize that name, but he was on the ground with Victoria Nuland doing the coup in Ukraine, had been working for two years to try to get something um, to restore order. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Sudan's democratic transition completely blew up. Feltman doesn't know what happened. He was talking to the guy the day before. Then he goes to the Capitol. He takes over. And uh, it was supported by General Sisi, who in this article, it says Egyptian President Sisi seized power in a 2013 coup backed by Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. And he supports the Sudanese general who installed the civilian guy. Now, Feltman now, so in no place in that article did it say anything about the fact that we had a relationship with this guy who took <laughs> over and that Feltman was like coup master general. But then it goes on to say that uh, that we are working to get our guy in as like a compromise to replace the guy that the coup took out. So ultimately, the beneficiary of that coup is likely going to be somebody Jeffrey Feltman picks. But what is such the tell here is that they don't tell anything about our relationship with that guy. They don't tell anything about Feltman's past history of instituting coups. And they say that Sisi was installed by Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. And granted, they are our allies and no doubt they had something to do with it. 
But in the New York Times was an article at that time about Cece, which is absolutely fascinating. Susan Rice deposed Morsi personally and installed Cece. And in, in the New York Times, it says... Morsi huddled in his quarters during the last hours as Egypt's first elected leader. So as the first Democratic elected leader, we cooed him out to. He received a call from an Arab foreign minister, probably Saudi Arabia or UAE, with a final offer to end a standoff with the country's top generals. The foreign minister said he was acting as an emissary of Washington. And he asked Morsi if he would accept the appointment of a new prime minister and cabinet that would take over basically the entire government. They knew Morrissey wouldn't go for it. He had responded to a similar proposal saying he'd rather die. And they did actually put him up on capital charges. I don't know if he was executed or not, but he was certainly on trial for capital charges. His top advisor, Assam El Haddad, left the room at that point to call the United States ambassador Ann Patterson to say that Morrissey refused. When he returned... He reported that he had spoken himself to Susan Rice, the national security advisor, and that the military takeover was about to begin. He, this, these were his words, and aide texted these words out of the room. Mother just told us that we will stop playing in one hour, playing on a sarcastic Egyptian expression for the country's Western patron, Mother America. So... Sisi was replaced in a coup that was absolutely documented by the New York Times as being orchestrated by us, yet the Wall Street Journal reports that it was something totally different. Same thing with all of these stories. They are not reporting it until they're caught red-handed. And next time, I might have to do a part two of this because I'm wondering why it's happening. And my guess is that it's not happening because they want to stop China from taking over Africa. My guess is that it's happening because... China is in there creating economic value and a political animal can appropriate economic value added by political means. And if they want to get in there and make sure their hand is in the cookie jar, if they control the guys who control those African countries, they will be able to dictate the terms under which China operates there is, is I'm just that's the that's the theme I'm going to explore could be something else. I don't know, but I'm going to get to the bottom of this one, too. I have seen some headlines speaking about Africa and the impact that what Russia is doing is going to have on Africa. And that is obviously connected to China as well, with other articles talking about how China's support of Russia is growing more, at least publicly. It's very yeah. interesting stuff. Yeah. All right. Do we have any shout outs for today? Oh, a couple. I missed last week shouting out to Lanny of the Waski family farm that she was having a fermentation seminar, which I attended yesterday and it was awesome. I will be making my own sauerkraut. So I wanted to thank her for that. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, it was a zoom party. I just loved it. And that's the Waski family farm. You can go to Instagram and see all her beautiful pictures. She has a YouTube channel. Um, pod, they have a podcast. So I'll keep you posted as to their events as they roll forward. And actually, I can tell you that Preserving Today is their YouTube channel. And The World As It Is Today is their podcast. And it's W-A-S-C-H-K-E, I think, if you want to go to their Insta page. Um, and also, I'm going to have... I did two meetups when I was home. One in New York and one in Massachusetts. It was really great to see 
people, some people were new, some people I already knew. It was really, really fun. And I'm doing one more in honor of Jackie's visit to California. So we're going to meet at, uh, I'm going for Casa Vega in Sherman Oaks at 4.30 on Saturday. I have to confirm that because they're not taking reservations and they won't answer the phone. But I'm pretty sure that if I get there at 4.30, we'll have plenty of room. And uh, so Casa Vega is an iconic LA place to be. So it'll be super, super fun. I'll confirm as the week goes on, but just put that, pencil that in if you're in the LA area. Very cool. Well, very interesting as always, Monica. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. You guys can find your drive time at News Blast every weekday afternoon at thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform or app with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. We will talk to you guys in the DNB XR or tomorrow. Have a fantastic rest of your day. <laughs>